0: What is going on, Solo fam? My name is John Solo, and you are listening to the Messed Up Origins podcast, where I break down the most disturbing myths and folklore from across history and around the planet. The iconic piece of folklore that we'll be covering today is a little story called, wait for it, The Fisherman and His Wife. Oh. I thought you'd be more excited than that. You know what? I bet you don't know what story I'm talking about because that's about the vaguest title it could possibly have. But I guarantee you've heard this one before. In it, a fisherman catches a magic talking fish then allows it to go free. And in exchange for its freedom, the fish gives him several wishes as a reward. Initially, the fisherman doesn't want anything, but wow, does his wife take advantage of the offer and their life gets real crazy, real fast. That sounds a little familiar, right? Even if you haven't read the story per se you could have also seen it reimagined in cartoon form either on the rocky and bullwinkle show or even disney's timon and pumbaa which i have to say like most of disney's animated shows is way uglier than i remember it being as a kid Seriously, go watch a clip on YouTube sometime. Just be sure to have a trash can next to you in case you vomit. Like many folktales, though, the most popular version of The Fisherman and His Wife is not the only version, so we'll be covering some interesting variants from countries like Japan and India. And I've got to say, the latter of those two really puts the messed up in messed up origins, so do yourself a favor and stick around to hear it. Chapter 1. The Fisherman and His Wife Without a doubt, the most popular version of this story among English speakers is the one written by the Brothers Grimm back in 1812, over 200 years ago. It was the 19th story included in their famous collection, Children's and Household Tales, and they sourced it from a manuscript that a German painter gave to their publisher a few years prior. What's interesting about that is because the publisher had a number of different clients, they let another writer named Johann Bushing use the manuscript to write his own version of the story, which he had printed just a few months prior to the Grimm's. As far as I can tell though, his version is very similar to the Grimm's with maybe a few tweaks here and there, so we're just covering theirs today. Now this may come as a surprise to you, but this story actually follows a fisherman and his wife. Crazy, I know. And when the Grimms introduce us to the couple, they describe them as exceedingly poor and living in a piss pot. Seriously, it's a children's story and they call their house a piss pot. Every day, the fisherman would go out fishing for hours on end. and one day, he caught a rather large flounder from the very bottom of the sea. Only when he pulled the fish into his boat, it said, hey, let me go, I'm actually a prince. The fact that the fish could talk was all the evidence the fisherman needed, so he let him go, but when he told his wife the story, she was furious he didn't ask for anything in return. Then she ordered him to go back to the fish and wish for a nicer house that wasn't a piss pot. So he does just that, and when he gets to the sea, he and the fish have a cute little interaction. The flounder says, little man, little man, timpy T," and the fisherman responds, flounder, flounder in the sea. My wife, my wife, Ilzebill, wants not, wants not, what I will. Then the fish responds, well, what does she want then? And here is where the first of several wishes is made. The fisherman says his wife wants a bigger house and the fish replies, okay, go home and you'll find her in a brand new house. And sure enough, He does. Not only are they no longer living in a piss pot, but their new house has a parlor, a bedroom, a kitchen, and even a garden and yard. At a certain point, the wife forgets about the struggles of their old life and decides this new one isn't up to her standard either and makes her husband wish for the house to be a castle. The fisherman is reluctant to do so because he's happy with how things are, but she makes him go talk to the fish and soon enough, her wish is granted. Now, as you might expect, things continue to progress like this with the wife getting exactly what she wants but it not being enough every single time. After they get the castle, she needs a title to match it and is made queen. But soon that isn't enough and she has to be made empress. But even that got boring after a while and then she had to be made pope. Yeah, leave it to the Grimm brothers to bring a religious element into the story. Out of the five variants I read, theirs is the only one to do that. So after this Pope wish is made, the husband goes home to find his wife wearing three golden crowns and sitting on a golden throne that's two miles high. He calls up to her, at least you have nothing left to wish for now. And she responds, I'll have to sleep on that. And sleep on that she did. In fact, when the next morning came and she was woken up by the sunlight hitting her face, she realized how convenient it would be if she could control when the sun rises. Then she called to her husband, said he should go wish for her to be a god, and out of fear of her popely power, he agreed. So a detail that I haven't mentioned yet and is actually consistent across most tellings of the story is that every time the fisherman makes a wish, the ocean and weather get more unstable. When he first catches the flounder, the water is crystal clear, then it turns yellowish green, then dark gray, and by the end, the water is pitch black with massive waves striking the nearby mountains. It's a very dramatic scene. But funnily enough, the dramatic scene doesn't have an ending that matches its intensity. The fearful fisherman tells the flounder that his wife wants to be made a god and the flounder simply replies, go home. She's sitting in her piss pot again. And legend has it, they're sitting in that very same piss pot to this day. Seriously, that's the last line of the story. So let me ask you, Solo fam, what did we learn from this story? That we should be content with where we are in life and never try to make things better? No, Derek, this is exactly why your parents divorced. The real lesson is to simply appreciate what you have. You should always be doing what you can to make your life fulfilling and rewarding, but don't expect possessions and fancy titles to make you happy, because if that's all you're pursuing, then you're always gonna want more. This story and others that are similar to it can be put under ATU 555 tales about dissatisfaction and greed. And for those confused about what that means, because it's been a while, ATU is the Arne Thompson-Uther Tale Type Index. Every fairy tale you've ever heard fits into at least one of the index's hundreds of categories, making it an excellent way to track similar archetypes and motifs appearing in stories all over the world. Speaking of, let's take a look at some of the other stories that fit in that category. Chapter Two, Similar Stories of Dissatisfaction and Greed. Now, there are actually quite a few stories out there that could be classified under the same archetype as the fisherman and his wife. The problem is that many of them unfold in a way that's just a little too similar for me to take the time to break down for you. However, because these stories are all legitimately hilarious and messed up in their own special ways, I wanna give you some of the highlights before I break down the really unique variants. You might be surprised to hear that before the Grimm brothers and that bushing guy published their renditions based on the manuscript in 1812, there was another German author who wrote his own version three years prior. His name was Robert paulsen I mean Albert Grimm, but he was not related to Jacob and Wilhelm. What's probably my favorite difference about his version is that instead of calling his protagonist the fisherman over and over again, he's given the name Hans Doodledee. Which I've already decided I'm naming my firstborn son. Another difference is that his wife always blames their current circumstances on him and is very insulting. He asks for a bigger house and she calls him an idiot for not asking for nicer clothes to match it. After he becomes king, she tells him he's stupid if he doesn't wish to be the most powerful king in the world, etc. What's interesting though is that while Hans is mostly happy whenever his wishes are granted, he doesn't realize how unreasonable the requests are getting like the fisherman in the last story. In fact, he even says to the fish, Oh, my wife just wants to do whatever a God can do as if that's not a big ass. In another Russian variant that was actually published in London in 1890, so several decades after the Grimm's, the wife reveals herself to be a true psychopath. After forcing her husband to wish for her to be Archduchess, he returns home, only for her to act like she doesn't recognize him. Then she orders her soldiers to drag him outside and whip him so badly that he barely knows whether he's alive or not. And as if that's not bad enough, she later forces the old idiot as she calls him to return to the fish and wish for her to be a goddess under threat of cutting off his head. No, the Russians don't play. Chapter 3 The Unhappy Stonecutter Now the Japanese variant is the one that I find fascinating. This one wasn't published until 1903 when Andrew Lang included it in his Crimson Fairy book, though it's definitely centuries older than that. In this story, instead of the main character's wife asking for so much power that she loses it all, he goes through a bit of a cycle and learns that there's a delicate balance between all forms of life on earth. Sounds interesting, right? So like the last few stories, this one opens on a man whose life isn't easy, but also isn't unhappy. He's a stonecutter who spends his day harvesting, carving, and engraving all kinds of stones and makes enough money to get by. But one day while delivering a gravestone to a wealthy man's house, he suddenly sees all the pleasures that his life is missing, which is the same phenomenon that happens to anyone who opens up Instagram. Suddenly his life was a lot less fulfilling and he said to himself, Oh, if only I were a rich man who could sleep in a beautiful house and a comfy bed, I'd be so happy. Seemingly out of nowhere, a ghostly voice responds to him. Your wish is heard, a rich man you shall be. And when the stonecutter goes home, he sees his hut has been replaced with a house. Now, for those confused about where that voice came from, there were legends about a spirit in the stonecutter's village that would help men become rich and prosperous. He just didn't believe them until now. Well, after a few weeks, the stonecutter adjusted to his new life and it was no longer as satisfying as it once was. And on an especially hot summer day, when he saw a prince being fanned and covered on his stagecoach, He couldn't help but wish to be a prince. However, being a prince wasn't all it was cracked up to be. He was still hot, and whenever he tended to his plants, the sun's rays would scorch them. So he realized that the sun was mightier than himself, and he wished to be the sun. It's at this point that he starts going nuts with power. Using his devastating heat, he scorched the faces of both the poor and rich alike, equality, and dried up as many plants as he could. But one day, his rays were blocked by a cloud, and realizing that the cloud must be more powerful than himself, he wished to be a cloud, which he enjoyed for a while. At first, he took pleasure in feeding the plants and making them bloom, but he took his shenanigans to another level and made all the lakes and rivers that he saw overflow. The only thing the cloud couldn't move was a great big boulder that sat on a mountain, and because it was more powerful than him, he wished to be the boulder. Bonus points if you see where this is headed. At first, the boulder stood proudly on his mountain. Neither the sun nor the rain could make him budge. But then he heard a noise at his base and saw a stone cutter chipping away at his surface. In a panic, he cried out, is a mere child of earth mightier than a rock? Oh, if only I were a man. And just like that, he returned to his life as a stone cutter. His bed was hard and food was scarce, but he learned to be satisfied with what he had and didn't have any desire to be anyone or anything else. Like I said, a bit different than the others, and honestly, I kind of like it more. It's cool to me that this one has more of a grass is greener on the other side vibe than the more simple be grateful for what you have moral. Though both are equally valuable lessons. It just shows you that no matter how good or bad your current situation is, there is always someone that has it better or or worse. It just depends on what metric you choose to measure by. Chapter Four, Hangball and Greedy. So, today's final story is actually the oldest and weirdest of the bunch. It's called Hangball and Greedy, and I'm very excited for you to learn the meaning behind the title. See, there once was a massive bull named Hangball, and he had giant balls. One day, Hangball moseyed by a jackal named Greed and his wife, who were lounging on the riverbank, and the jackal's wife points out the big old hunks of meat hanging from the bull. She says to Greedy that they look like they're going to fall off at any minute, or at the very most, a few hours, and that they should follow him so they can claim them. Greedy points out that they have no idea if they're going to fall at all, and they have a pretty sweet spot by the river where they can catch mice, but the wife nags him until he gives in. So they followed him, and they followed him, and they followed him for 15 years, and not once did either hunk of meat come loose. Then, just like the rest of the stories in the Panchatantra, it ends with a poem. Loose they are, yet tight. Fall or stick, my dear. I have watched them now till the 15th year. What a beautiful story. I honestly never thought I'd be lucky enough to talk to you guys about a bull's giant balls, but life is full of surprises. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.